back. We're live. It's Monday afternoon. It's uh, one o'clock. And uh, we have a special guest who we interviewed in January of this year. It's, it seems like a long time ago, but it was a great, a great uh, talk show. Milton Garces, who's the assistant, an assistant researcher, and he is the director of the In Infra Infrasound Laboratory at the UH facility at Nelha, the Natural Energy Laboratory of Hawaii, what, Natural Energy Laboratory of Hawaii Authority yeah. in Kona. I was a director there for a while. What? Yeah, way back when. You were just a young man. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Melton. Thank you, Jim. Great to have you. And it was great to do that show in, um, in January. And one thing sticks in my mind is, you know, I always like to ask scientists uh, what, what moments they had in their lives that sort of connected them with their science, committed them to their science. And you, you had an interesting story. You were walking in the woods and, and you heard a certain... Why don't you tell that story? Well, you know, I, I can tell it forever because every single time you can add another different sound on it, right? And um, the memories are fine that way. You can re keep replaying them. But this one was a jungle in Costa Rica. And uh, I was chasing this volcano down. I heard it was really consistent in terms of blowing things. And uh, when I arrived there, I couldn't see anything. It was a jungle. All I can hear is monkeys and thunder lightning, lots of rain. So lots of sounds in the jungle. Lots of sounds. But then, uh, when that volcano blew up, it's like, it's the one. There was no ambiguity about it. This thing is there. You could hear rocks rolling down the hills, and you could, you know, it had its own voice. And I realized, hey, we can use this. And so that kind of set me along the path, and it's been a journey of exploration since then. That was like over 20 years ago. And, um, and since there, well, that you keep finding all this primitive language that we're tapping into and trying to interpret and decipher. Now, in, in a, it's a translation exercise, you know. What is this particular signature trying to convey to me? That Lots is of unique signatures. Yeah. Uh, there's no end to them. And yeah. it's, it's shaped by the environment that you recorded. If you're recording in a valley, it's going to have this reverb going to it. It'll be like a church, you know, a giant temple. And if you're in a desert, it's going to have a different signature because the way that, you know, the heat shapes the sound. And if you're on the hill, you know, it works around the hill, so that shapes it, too, and how it bounces off, you know, sometimes you can hear the echo of a forest, you know. So um, it, it, to, to, to try to extract the, <laughs> the voice of the source itself, it's, it can be challenging. And, uh, oh, but it's tons of fun, really. Well, you know, <clears throat> this sort of leads me to, to discuss the, the, the title of our show today, which is Infrasound is Everywhere. Okay, we're going we're to define infrasound, but you know, I, I thought, you know, talking about your your walk through the forest uh, in uh, Costa Rica, was we could we could we could also call it um, yes, a, a tree makes noise when it falls alone in the forest. <laughs> yeah, we have so many records of that. So, <laughs> so solipsism is it's not going to work out for us on that. So, okay. so you know, just just to um, you know, like until we could record sounds we couldn't do any of this mm -hmm. and then we got to record sounds and we and i think the magic was we got to look at them mm -hmm. as a waveform mm -hmm. and so you have two things only two things right you have the waveform with all the complexities that a waveform can take and you have the levels the, the volume that's is there a, anything else that's a good summary of it you know that the waveform contains a lot of content you know and the, the relationship between the timing of arrival and and the levels also give you that. But those are the, the primary metrics that you're trying to, to understand, the amount of energy that goes in there. 
Um, the other thing that's really critical is the timing. The timing. Yes. Thank you. Time yeah. is of the essence. Timing is of the essence. That's everything. You know? <laughs> so, so yeah, we're looking at really low frequency sounds. So the same problems that we have in audio that are so accessible to us yeah. because we use it all the time. Yeah. It, we run them into them, but the scales are just huge. They're massive, you know, from scales of buildings to global. And so, you know, going back to the, the whole sound is everywhere thing, we, we found infrasound after Krakatoa blew up, you know. What is infrasound exactly relative to waveform and frequency and level and the sound levels? What is it? Well, so it's, <laughs> everything we, we define seems to be human-centered. So we define it relative to a hearing threshold. And, you know, guys like us are hearing low end. It's more on the 30 to 40 hertz. For yeah. a young person, might be able to hear down to 20 yeah. cycles per second. Okay. Which is, you know, it's, it's like a really heavy bass. Yeah. And below that, um, you lose the sense of tonality. So you no longer get a tone, you start getting more of a beat. And so um, uh, infrasound is below 20 cycles per second. Uh, a lot of what we concentrate on detection um, for, for infrasound signatures, it, it's around one cycle per second. That's, okay, that, that's. So it's a beat. Okay, you know, it's a beat, it's not, it's not a frequency or yeah. a, a musical It's a really slow sound. 60 yeah. beats per minute kind of thing. Yeah. And it kind of, if it's, if it's smooth, you barely hear it. You don't feel it at all. If it's sharp, then it sounds like a, yeah. a percussion. And then you have two cycles per second, that's 120 beats per minute. Yeah. And that, that's a, like a swinging jazzy piece right there. That's really <laughs> okay. rocking, right? 120 <laughs> beats per minute, it's, it's happening. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of information in there. It's just slow, and it corresponds to scales that are bigger than us. That's kind of like the reference point. You know, you start getting to elephants, they start producing infrasound. You get to whales, they go into the infrasound range. So yeah. the big boys, the big things in the world. And then you get even bigger things, you know, like tsunamis or giant meteors hitting the earth, and now everything rings. The whole planet is like a giant spherical gong. And, and so this is when we talk about infrasound, we talk about really big, 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 long big sounds. Sound, yeah, deep, and they're so loud, it's ridiculous, you know. And we just don't feel them. I think we go nuts. Well, why? Because they're outside our hearing. It, well, you know, our ears pretty much dictate the frequencies that we hear. Yeah. Because if uh, otherwise, it's just just shaking thing, you know. And we use the time of our hour between our ears to know where, where things are coming. So humankind has evolved to avoid hearing these sounds because it would be too tough on us. I think we will go nuts. Yeah. It's it's so loud down there. It, there's so much energy. Yeah in the infrasound range, and, on, and then you go deep enough, you hit weather. Yeah. And you know, sometimes when it's really windy, I, I don't know if it happens to you, but it kind of, it's unnerving. If it's windy all the time, yeah. and everything's vibrating. Yeah. And so I, I think we just filtered it out, but we still kept some of it, because when really big, when you hear that, you know, Godzilla, right? You look at the movie, big sound, right? So they communicate with infrasound, right? Yeah, <laughs> in yeah, the yeah. movie, they're sure. communicating a lot. dogs, <laughs> or dogs. Dogs go on the other end because their heads are smaller. So they yeah. can go to the ultrasound. Ultrasound. So then the bats infrasound, go to ultrasound. ultrasound. That's right. On the, okay. It's all relative to us, right? We define it so we get first dibs. And, uh, if it's below our hearing threshold and it's big as infrasound, if it's above and small, it's ultrasound. Okay. So what, what are the boundaries then, I mean, in, in, for, you, for your, your use of infrasound? Mm -hmm. how, where does it start in terms of s cycles per minute or mm -hmm. what, a second, whatever, and where does it end? It's, it's an arbitrary boundary, really. Uh, yeah. It's, it, there's no 
physics doesn't care. <laughs> the, the only real boundary between sound and um, it goes into a different type of wave. It's about three millihertz, which is, you know, 0 0.003 cycles per second. So you get to a few hundreds to thousands of seconds of oscillations. Now sound loses its meaning, so you switch physics there. But above that, it's all sound. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we design systems just like our ears. We design recording systems that scale with the wavelength. So essentially, is we grab our ear and we throw it in the wall and we throw it to the other wall, and now we can detect sound that's bigger. Yeah. And so we design the systems with particular, you know, signatures in mind. But you know, it, it raises an interesting question because you're using infrasound for science. Yeah. You're learning about the universe, about everything around us, and there's really no barriers once once you understand the unique waveform, the unique properties of a given sound. You can test it, you can find it, you can interpret it, mm, anything. <clears throat> but, you know, then there's this other range of human sound and dog sound and all this. Mm -hmm. You haven't even started with that yet. So, I mean, when you finish, mm -hmm. uh, Milton, when you finish with what you're working on now, there's a world of other sounds <laughs> for you to work on. It never ends, right? There's no end, and that's just <laughs> in this planet. You know, you start thinking about, uh, you know, Venus is in an atmosphere, Mars is in an atmosphere. And if you look at things big enough, then, you know, stars and planets become like little molecules in a vast volume, and that whole thing oscillates too. Yeah. So there, there's no limit to scale, time. You can go as small as you want, down to the molecular level, subatomic level. You get Subatomic sounds. Yeah, it's kind of wild. You know, when I went to school, the, the phonons was like a mythology. They were like unicorns, solid-state unicorns. And now everybody talks about them. There's papers on it, and it looks like they're part of it. But this is, you know, it's a quantum mechanical equivalent of sound. Yeah. And then you can go down to the Big Bang sound. Way, really, really, really big, like a universe exploring. Yeah, yeah, you use like Planck's, Planck reference constants, you know, to yeah, scale yeah, things, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and then we're still vibrating from that, right? So it really is no limit to it. But yeah, you need different instruments with different kinds of, yeah. different parts of the spectrum, so to speak. That's right. um, so what kind of instruments are you focusing on now? Uh, now I'm, I'm building um, uh, cell phone apps for recording infrasound. This is pretty much... Uh, uh, you know, I still remember the first system that we installed. I was so proud of it. It was so beautiful, but it was so expensive. Yeah. You know, it was it was prohibitive. And that, you know, the really f nice things just cost a lot of money. <laughs> and so, if you want a high quality, high def, you know, high fidelity equipment, you, you know, you pay for that. But that limits how well you can capture it. Yeah, but it's always got to be digital, right? It always. It must be digital. It must be. Okay. Uh, but now, your, your smartphone is a, it's a computer. It's a supercomputer. These things are awesome. they got 24 bits resolution inside of them. The audio interfaces are amazing. You know, because, well, what, what, what do we all do? Listen to music to it, right? So high fidelity, high data acquisition rates. Communication is amazing. So now, you know, anybody with that has, like, an iPhone right now can record in for some. Anybody, you know, just go to the app, download it, press play, and you're not recording for some, but contributing it to, you know, to the science. So there's a microphone. I know, this internal. The microphone picks up the sound. Yeah, yeah. And then the microphone goes through some sort of digital inter digital processor, and it stamps it in a in a computer file. Yeah. And, and the computer file has those those things, uh, a frequency and waveform mm -hmm. and um, and levels and. Yeah. You know, the whole signature is so, right yeah. there. We don't even connect the microphone to it. We use the onboard sensors in there. 
But seriously, you, if you have it right now, you just go to the App Store, type Infrasound, download the amps, push play, and you're good. You're contributing. You're recording Infrasound. And it's that easy. I'm, I'm going to do that during this break. Cool. We're going to have a break. I get my phone. <laughs> All right. <laughs> get your phone. Infrasound, okay? That's Milton Garces. He's Associate Researcher, Director of the Infrasound Laboratory at the University of Hawaii in Nelha, the Natural Energy Laboratory of Hawaii Authority in, in Kona. We'll be right back for more. Hi, I'm Donna Blanchard. I'm the host of Center Stage here on Think Tech Hawaii. Center Stage airs every Wednesday at 2 o'clock, and of course you can check out our archives on YouTube or on Think Tech Hawaii anytime you like. Why should you do that? Because this is an arts show that I believe is making a difference in lives. We talk with artists of various ilk. We talk with painters and, and writers, playwrights, novelists, poets, sculptors, dancers, um, you name it, directors, uh, actors, of course. And we don't only talk about what people do, but we talk about how they do it. And my favorite part of the conversation, we talk about why they do it. And it's really common on this show to hear people say, wow, I didn't think about it that way. And it's very common to hear people afterwards who have seen the show say the same thing. And I hear all the time that people are inspired by the conversations that we have. So why don't you join us and be inspired, too? That's Center Stage on Wednesdays at 2 o'clock. We'll see you center stage. Okay, we're back. We're live. <laughs> I learned it in a break. I mean, I could find a definition of infrasound. That's good. I didn't look at everything, <laughs> but I found that on my Samsung, it, it, it doesn't. There's no. The apps don't work on uh, Android yet. It's only for uh, iPhone, iOS for the moment. But yeah. we're gonna fix that. Okay, you know, we have okay. to test it and something else. There's so many Androids. <laughs> there's so many flavors. You know, it's like walking to a candy shop. Android candy shop. <laughs> <Really? laughs> Okay, so yeah. you were talking about how you could you could you could spot a, what a satellite. Uh, yeah, we had this Soviet satellite that came in, you know, a, a few weeks ago. Yeah, and it, it flew right over Hawaii, and some people saw it. There's some nice footage of people who took the shot. I was like, look at this thing! It's yeah, yeah, flying yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had the, the the cell phone app recording on Big Island in Oahu, and we have stations in Maui and on uh, Hawaii also, and there it was. By golly, we picked up a so the commission Soviet satellite burning in through over Hawaii, and that was satisfying. We've already picked up volcanoes, and we've already picked up the usual things that blow up, you know. So we know it worked, but I, that was the first time we caught we caught this. Big okay, thing. so here's the satellite. Yeah. And I have my my iPhone. Yeah. And I'm pointing it up Don't in the sky. To. Don't even need to. No, I just if it's just just recording, that's good enough. Just record. And what about recording while you and I are speaking and yeah, having I mean, a call, whatever it is. No matter. You can, you can extract that. So deep. You're looking at infrasound, so not sounds. Different. Doesn't even cross. Ah. Our, our voices are like, in fact, we build the app so it filters our voice. You don't so want you to. So you don't care about the voice. It's for privacy. Okay, so yeah. now. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> yes. See, there is privacy oh, left in the world. Of course. <laughs> in science, yeah. So now I have the sound, the infrasound of yeah. the satellite up yeah. there. Um, now you're going to do something with that sound file. It's mm -hmm. a, what, what do you do in order to gain the specific signature of the Russian satellite? You know. Uh, well, the, it, you know the typical thing is pitch, right? Look at the frequency and find okay what is what is its prevailing voicing, right? And so you concentrate on that, but you always look around the edges because you never know. And then you try to reconstruct what the trajectory was, and uh, it, you know things that are moving supersonically, they behave kind of, they appear to behave acosally. They don't, but they do, because you see things way before you hear them. 
because they're moving faster than sound. So you have to think about things right, and they have weird radiation patterns too, like that meteor over Russia, right? That humongous thing that blew up the Chile Evans meteor. You, you heard about that? No, right? you're telling me now. Okay, I'm telling you now. Okay, so this, this giant fireball exploded over Russia. And um, it exploded over um, ex nuclear Soviet facilities to be a secret facility. And um, so you can imagine, you know, the stoop. And so you don't know at first what the heck is this thing. It's a big fireball. It's the biggest atmospheric explosion we've had since the Cold War, since they banned nuclear weapons. And it was the equivalent of about a one megaton nuclear explosion. This was a big rock. And it came out of the sun. We didn't see it coming. So there was How far up? Oh, it blew up at around 30 kilometers, but actually hit the ground. Oh. We didn't know it hit the ground until we looked at the seismic signatures, and they, because it fell inside a, a, a lake, which is another signature. Yeah, so, and so it's all connected, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this thing screams through the air, and freaks everybody. I broke the windows. Nobody died, but you know, it, if, you, if you look at the YouTube channel, you see people freaking out, windows exploding, people running out because they see a light. The light precedes the sound, right? Then this thing slams into them. Uh, all the dash cams are in Russia. And uh, we wrote a nature paper using essentially YouTube <laughs> from all the cameras that were parked around there. And so this crowd sounds right there using citizen So on YouTube, somebody, somebody posted a video on YouTube and you could listen to the soundtrack of the video. We looked at the trajectory in, um, in the video channels yeah. to get just the path. And that is because the dash cams are really popular in Russia yeah. for some reasons. The sound went around the world twice. We picked it up in Russia, in Kazakhstan, then in Europe, then in the equatorial, and then in Antarctica. So, wow, this went around. Then it went wrapped around again, and then it wrapped back again. So this, this was like, this is when we realized this is a big one. <laughs> did, you, did you know the, the unique uh, signature of it, or did you have to figure that out logically? Well, we have, a, we have, we get hit by meteors, big ones, like Hiroshima-sized big ones every year. So, I mean, this is where water came from, you know, on Earth. <laughs> it came from space, they got delivered via, via wow. meteor, right? Yeah. So uh, we, we've, been, we've been slammed as a planet routinely, but, you know, we're 70% water, so these rocks fall in the ocean. Yeah. That's it. Um, but the big ones like this don't happen that often. And so we knew more or less what a, you know, 10 kiloton type meteor looked like as we get once a year. But we weren't too sure what a one megaton <laughs> meteor sounded like. And now we know. Yeah. So you have that recording. We have that you, recording. You can isolate the exact signature. It's gorgeous. <laughs> why, why do you say gorgeous? Because the signal to noise is just massive. It's like somebody screamed. Our sensors were so good that you captured the whole thing. Clean. Oh, clean, clean waveform. Clean. Yeah. It's just so nice. It was yeah. picked up 600 kilometers away, and it was like, and then all the way in Antarctica. And then so you know, this, will, this will enable you to know more about the next one. It, yeah. Next time it comes, we'll be ready for it. We know what it is. We have a, a baseline. When, when can you pick it up, though? Uh, so you say it was, uh, what was it, 60 miles, was it, over the surface? Uh, well, you know, we, we moved to the speed of sound. So that's the propagation okay. signal. And then uh, we the, the closest station that we had was Kazakhstan, which is 600 kilometers away, right? 
and that's when I realized, shoot, anybody with a cell phone could have picked this up. Uh, not just on the microphones, but the barometers, too. Yeah. You know, seriously, this thing was like... So you massive. talked about, before the show began, you talked about citizen scientists. Yeah. Citizen infrasound scientists. Yeah. So you could have people, you know, all around the world recording things. How, how would that work? I mean, if you had, if you had anything you wanted, you know, if you could get anyone to do, everyone to do what you wanted, what would you ask them to do to achieve a, a library of sound, unique sound files, mm -hmm. unique sound sound files, to give you, you know, incredible information on science? What would you do? Well, you know, when I go to bed at night, I plug my phone in, connect it to the Wi-Fi, and then if you can just push record, it's being powered, it's on a communication line, and it's recording, it's contributing, and everybody has to sleep. That's eight hours of continuous recording anywhere in the world. So while you sleep, you're contributing to science. Where is the recording? On the phone? Or yeah, it's on the phone. It's just using the phone as a communication device that captures sound and streams it to the server. It's a little bit like the SETI guys, right? SETI guys, you know, you look for extraterrestrial intelligence by using crowdsourcing it, right? This, this reminds me yeah. of a, a very strange file that was on Apple phones a few years ago, and it recorded your GPS location right down the, mm -hmm. you know, inch, uh, wherever you were mm -hmm. on a file. So every second or two, it would record this in a file. And when somebody found the file hacking the iPhone, you know, mm -hmm. it went to Apple, and they said, well, what is that? How come the GPS locations, you know, every second or two mm -hmm. on the phone, you're recording them? Are you, are you removing that from my phone? Are you taking that off my phone? Mm -hmm. What's the purpose of it? It's not helping me. Mm -hmm. And Apple de declined to answer that. Interesting. <laughs> well, they, they stonewalled the question. And so, mm -hmm. but theoretically, though, you could have the phone recording all the time. And uh, it doesn't take much, and and you could have it filtered so nobody you know wasn't eavesdropping or anything. It's just just we're talking about infrasound only, mm -hmm. and you could have it there. And then theoretically, you could have it you know batch that back to you at Nelha. Yeah. You would have so much data you wouldn't know what to do with it. It's a problem. And you wouldn't know what to do. With we we it. we're <laughs> thinking about what to do with them, but the potential is like incredible because again, everybody's got a smartphone just about even in the most remote parts of the planet. So we, we could really increase the density of coverage of planetary scales by factors of like 10,000, really. It's, uh, this, and, and what you describe is exactly it. You know, it's running in the background. We built the app on purpose to pretty much preserve privacy. We randomized the ID, the location you can volunteer out of that. And I, I don't know, I got here by putting my your address on Google, <laughs> of course. Right? And then this little voice tells me where to go, yeah. and he knows where I am. I don't mind volunteering that. <laughs> I do it on purpose and willingly, because then I get here. Do you need <laughs> GPS in these files? Do you it, need helps. G it helps. It helps. It helps. Then you have a, you can triangulate that way. That's right. Yeah. You can use network processing, the time of flight thing, you know. Yeah. How, how, where are you and where the source is, and you can backtrack it. Yeah. And for Hawaii, one application is for surf. Big waves create big sound. Oh, sure. Any surfer knows this, man. It's, it's, it, dead of night, I hear this rumbling, and I was like, oh, boy. Showtime tomorrow. So you know, when you look at these sound files, you know immediately, you can screen them out. Uh, this is a wave. This is a volcano. This is a plane. This is a satellite. This is a Big Bang, <laughs> whatever it is. And you don't have to worry about them being confused, right? It's so it's so unique. Am I right? It, it, there, There is... 
some unique signatures, and again, it depends on the recording environment. The problem is that I can't do it all. So I have to train a little computer somewhere to do it for me at very large scales. And that's the beauty of it. That's when you start going into like machine learning and you use all these resources that are like available everywhere now. So it's, it's a new world order now. We have beautiful digital signals coming in from all over the planet. And we have the resources and essentially unlimited computing power. When you think about it, we yeah. can compute just about anything we can imagine. Yeah. And it's there already. Okay, so yeah. so let's talk. Let's say, let's say you want to know about wave action in the ocean. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's on. I got to look at uh, all your things you're doing. You're doing so many things. Mm -hmm. But let's it's say it's there. wave action. <laughs> in the ocean. So I get all these, I get all, I get all the sounds coming mm -hmm. in from I don't know the, the ships at sea, mm -hmm. the people live on the mm -hmm. ocean, people live inland. You know, I don't know every everybody. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do with them? I mean, a how do you process them, and what do you do with the result? Mm -hmm. So um, the Usually we are event-driven. You know, most people don't care about something until it in fact affects them directly. So say, for example, you're sitting peacefully in your, you know, in your villa somewhere on vacation, and the volcano next door blows up. You just happen to be there. All of a sudden, you become very interested in that thing, right? You bet. That's when you turn it on. You say, oh, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I would like to know more about this. And if everybody did that, we'll have full coverage of that activity live. And then the idea is to build interest that you can go and answer your own questions. So what, what happened? Thunderstorm over, you know, over this region, where is it at? So in principle, you should be able to just find out yourself. It's a search engine, right? Yeah. A signature signal search engine that you can do yourself. Because you, oh, there's no way I can do it all. I, I cannot satiate your curiosity. It's not possible. But you can do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> what would I use to do it myself? Oh, we'll build a web page interface. You can just log on and see it. Yeah. See, see the visual representation? And query it and interrogate it and find out, okay, how about this? How about that? And just play. Until you give me an example of a question. Uh, for example, let's see. Let's pick something topical. Oh, yeah. Let's say you are in a volcano, right? And uh, you hear this loud rumble. And you're kind of worried because, you know, sleeping next to a volcano, and you want to find out what's going on around here. So you'll probably go to Hawaii Volcano Observatory, right? And go find out, okay, what's, what's the prognosis there? What is the average? And that's the best place to go to the government agency. And you can also just start recording and then look around and find out who else has signatures around there and find out what else is happening in the area. And part of the idea is to make this available at a level that is accessible but not worrisome. Right? Yeah. So you, you feel better informed, and it ties into all the available feeds that can inform you in real time about what's going on around you. So it's a way of enhancing situational awareness, right? That's the key word. What's going on around me now? And when you're, you feel in a position of what you're threatened, this is when all your senses go up. It's a way of expanding your senses beyond your limitations. When, when, okay, suppose we have yep. a, a tsunami sound, right. Ooh, okay, and then you you know you have an algorithm that will determine how far away it is, uh, how big it is, uh, all that. So you press the, the record button, and now it's it's hearing that signature, and it's hearing the approach, mm -hmm. and it's smart enough to know that it's a tsunami and it's approaching. Mm -hmm. That's, that's pretty terrifying to an ordinary fellow living on the beach. That's right. So what, what, uh, what you will do is take this data and not 
try to interpret it yourself, but provide it to the people who can. Thank you. Myself or the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center in this case, right? Because it's, it's, you have your own sensor, you understand that, maybe you know where you are, but you have to put it all together. And that's more difficult. And so, yeah, for example, for the Japanese tsunami, we had a huge infrasound signal that arrived here five hours before the tsunami did. Yeah. But we didn't know that that could happen. So to those, those like a aha moment, we could potentially use this. And for the last Chile event, we didn't pick up any infrasound here in Hawaii. Fortunately, we didn't get much of a wave, but still. Yeah. You know, it's somewhere in South America, there is a signature of that event. Yeah. We don't have access to it. The trick is to give it to the people who can use it, and you as a citizen can help with that. Yeah. You see, to make that available to the agencies that can provide the agency will do the processing yeah. and tell you what it means. Yes. And give public uh, advice. That's, that's their job. Otherwise, yeah. it's terrifying, like you said. Terrifying. Because the, the responsibilities. You Theoretically, you could do that. It's actually it's very difficult to do it because of. Big of you need a big computer. It's our limits of comprehension, really. It, we yeah. have cognition limits as humans, as individuals, right? <laughs> we almost need like something bigger than us to really comprehend what's coming at us at that scale. Yeah. And this is why the organizations do this, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. they can put it all together yeah. and then let you know, hey, hey, hey it's not so really time to run, right? Talking about the future, you're talking about applications that we can't even imagine yet. Oh, we're imagining connect this. Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after this break, I want to get to some of them, <laughs> what you're doing and what you will be doing as time goes by. Sure. This is going to be a long career, actually. I, I hope so. <laughs> Milton Garces, Associate Researcher, Director of Infrasound Laboratory, the Infrasound Laboratory at the University of Hawaii, in Nelha, the, the Natural Energy Laboratory of Hawaii Authority in Kona. Um, so we're talking about infrasound, uh, and our, our title is Infrasound is Everywhere, and yes, a tree does make noise falling alone in the forest. We'll be right back. Aloha, I'm Kili'i Akina, president of the Grassroot Institute and host on Ehana Kako, a weekly program on the ThinkTech Hawaii broadcast network. Ehana Kako means let's work together. Think of the sad alternative, let's not work together. Here in Hawaii, with all of our diversity and the richness of the people, it's important for us to come together around issues on the basis of what's right, what's good, and what's going to serve the common good. And that's what we try to do at Ehana Kako. Every week, we interview movers and shakers, people in government, business, and other sectors of society to talk about how to create together a better government, economy, a better world here in Hawaii that can bless the rest of the world. I thank you for your attention to Think Tech Hawaii, and we look forward to seeing you every Monday, 2 to 3 p.m., on the Think Tech Hawaii Broadcast Network. We're Ehana Kako, and we wish you well. Aloha. Okay, we're back. We're live. We're having a really good time today in science. This is like Mr. Science, this one. <laughs> That's Milton Garces, Associate Researcher and Director of the Infrasound Laboratory at the University of Hawaii. We've learned that there's sound everywhere. The trees do make noise falling alone in the forest, and uh, we can learn from that. We can process in that. We can, we can learn about our world, and it's only beginning. It's only beginning how much we can do with this. So um, we, we actually found the app on the iPhone. We'll be showing you that in a little while. But for now, you know, I'd like to take stock of your projects where you're learning about this and actually doing it. And I have a little list. The infrasonic radiation from the winter surf season, season on the North Shore. Talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, when we, first, uh, when we first discovered surf infrasonic, 
the nice thing about being so niche, you know, you just specialize <laughs> in something that you find new stuff all the time. So um, we, we found out direct association between the intensity of a wave breaking and the infrasonic signature. And uh, we actually put, you know, some sensors on the North Shore. And uh, we found that um, that pipeline is just dominating in terms of surfing for sound. I think whenever there's a west swell, it just goes. And that thing just rings like there. It, it breaks so hard that the majority of the infrasound comes from there. Uh -huh. um, but with different directions, different surf spots turn on. Uh, you have sunset turning on with more of a steep north swell. And, the, uh, uh, and so... So this means that the different surf spots will have different signatures. Yeah. You could identify one surf spot against another with but the signature. Yeah. And furthermore, let me ask you this one. This mm -hmm. is interesting. You could, every single wave, theoretically, mm -hmm. has a different signature. Is this possible? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's distributed, right? Because, you know, it's, it's not just one point, but it's... Yeah, yeah, across the wave. But talk about a complicated conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, it, each wave has, it, you know, and sometimes they, they're similar to each other because yeah. as every surfer knows, is what's attractive about some surf spots. They yeah. have the same kind of wave, yeah. but they do vary between different points. Which makes you could sense. evaluate a surf spot. You can tell how hard it's breaking. Yeah, yeah. and you can tell them you should go out or maybe not. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's how big it is, especially at dead of night, because yeah, you yeah. can't see. And it's really hard. I mean, how many times have I stared out there? I can't tell how big it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, no. Okay, so th then you had another one real time acoustic monitoring of eruptions yeah. in Kilauea. Hmm. Uh, this, um, this is a collaboration with the Hawaii Volcano Observatories. And again, they're the, the primary authority for anything volcanic on the, on the islands of Hawaii. And uh, essentially, we provide additional information as needed. If something changes and they're, they're interested, they queue, and then they have access to the data. And in collaboration with them, we have also built a network on the Big Island. So we have really nice uh, reception of pretty much anything that happens there. And the aim is to provide coverage not just for Kilauea, but also for Mauna Loa, which, as you know, just changed its cloak to yellow. Yeah. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it, it's not if it's but when Mauna Loa is going to erupt and when it does, we'll be ready for it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and so uh, this leads me to another question I always mm -hmm. have. Um, so if the Earth, through these eruptions, is giving you infrasound, uh, and you can find a signature on it and tell us a lot about what, what's happening or what will happen, mm -hmm. um, what about when there's no eruption? Mm -hmm. um, does the Earth make sounds between eruptions when nothing is erupting? I guess Kilauea has been erupting continuously for a long time. And uh, when, I, when we first made the measurements, they told us, oh, this volcano is quiescent. It doesn't make any sound. Oh, we went and tested them anywhere because there's no better place to test the system than to throw it out a volcano. Because if the volcano doesn't kill it, you know, the spumes will and something else. Yeah. So you test for robustness. Yeah. Okay, validation. Kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. field test, like a real acid test, literally, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's when we discovered we wrote the first paper that volcano infrasound from Kilauea volcano. It's like, oh, not only is it making sound between major eruptions, which is all the time, it's just gurgling away. Yeah. It's just, and sometimes it's really very tonal. You have all these conduits and pipes and stuff. And it sounds really pretty sometimes. It so sounds like a different chant, volcanoes yeah. have different signatures. Very, very different, yeah. Oh. Kilauea is nice, but there's some of the some of the nastier volcanoes, the ones that inject ash into the stratosphere. Yeah. 
And this was another like great aha moment for it. This is the acoustic finger fingerprints of a plinian eruption. And those are the ones that most people care about, in particular here in Hawaii, because almost everybody flies here, right? And planes just don't like ash. Planes ash bad, right? So anytime a volcano pumps ash into the stratosphere or into the, you know, the flight paths, uh, there's a problem. And so we have a project now starting in, um, in, in Asia for Indonesia, Philippines, and all the uh, big, big bad boys out there. To listen to, listen. to the volcanoes. Using the global network and starting to also deploy the cell phones around there. And then you can tell if it's going to be the, the, the eruption and therefore the ash. And who to inform and what are the communications? You change the flight plan. You have to. Not only that, sometimes that costs money because you have to drop off passengers so you can put more fuel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's yeah. an economic impact. So wreck the engines with the ash, too. And that's a big yeah. cost. Yeah. And yeah. the worst case scenario is that the thing falls out of the sky. Yeah. And that's just bad all around. Yeah. Right? yeah. But, uh, so, so there's a whole decision chain that follows an, an, an eruption alert, as we found out in Iceland, right? Those people stranded, people were very cautious, nobody flew. And it pretty much multi-billion impact, dollar impact and economic damage. So we had a scientist a week or two ago here who taught me from HIGP, you know, Hawaii Institute of Geophysics and Planetology. Are you associated with them? Very much so. Are you, are Red, you Butler, part of... Red Butler's my boss. Okay, got it. And All he right. told me, hey, you have to go talk to Jay. And okay, I said, it would be my pleasure. All right, what else? <laughs> what else? Of course. <laughs> so um, I, I want to say his name is Jeff Anderson. He was here a couple, couple, of, couple of weeks ago. A great guy. Great discussion. And um, one of the things he taught me was that the, the Earth is a magnet. Mm -hmm. And um, I was a magnet fellow. It's a magnet fellow. Studies magnetism. And uh, the Earth is a magnet, and it has a, a kind of molten core. And the molten core, obviously, is moving around. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Therefore, it's kind of kind of like a volcano, I suppose, and and because it's moving around, kind of like a volcano. Theoretically, don't you think that it should be giving off sound, uh, infrasound? Well, uh, uh, that, that's a that's an avenue I've never considered because there's there's all this solid rock in between. There's too much material. But let me. Do you want to hear something weird? <laughs> that same magnetic field, right? It's the only thing that keeps the sun from scorching us. This is, this is our shield, you know. This is the only thing that, you know, prevents all this cosmic radiation from essentially... It bends the radiation away. Yeah, from it, it provides a cover, you know, essentially. What a great idea, whoever invented it. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool design, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. smart, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is well, well done, right? <laughs> and um, uh, with, the, with the big event there, the Japanese uh, earthquake and tsunami, we found these waves propagating on, kind of on the lower edge of that boundary. Now, we never thought there were infrasound waves there because there's no atmosphere there to speak of but there is a, a, a high density of electrons there and apparently they move like sound so we found infrasound in space it's like it's out there and uh, the physics of that is is really complicated because you have a plasma out there it doesn't behave like your typical fluid and then you have wave equations and you have you know electromagnetic equations and it gets really complicated because we think of the sun as this happy thing that's just staying there all the time, but that thing's changing. The storms that are going off up there. I don't know if you've seen some of those images out there with the, you know, the big jets that come out of there. And every time something like that happens, we just get a pulse. 
And so that, that shield that we just talked about is not static. It's to, it's to fall it back. Yeah. And I think that can make sense. You could interpret that. I th and not me personally yet, because I'm just learning about it. But I, I think that there's something in there that could be very intriguing. The physics are fascinating. And, you know, just learning about that is such a you know, lifelong student kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's incredible yeah. to think yeah. about it. Yeah. And I guess the question is, I mean, we, so we know that uh, knowing about a tsunami is useful. Yes. We know that knowing about waves is probably useful. We know that uh, eruptions are useful. But there's probably other uses that infrasound could give you, aside from, you know, those ocean and earth uh, movements. Mm -hmm. uh, have, have, you, have you gone in that direction? Can you talk about how it will give us other information that will help, help humanity? Uh, one of the primary applications that we have is uh, for um, the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which is we monitor for clandestine nuclear test explosions in the world. And, you know, before the turn of the century, the fuel of infrasound was gone. There was nothing there. So we had to reboot it. It was like a full, you know, restart of it, which was you nice. 15 years ago. Yeah. So there really, um, you know, there was, the fuel was just gone. There's only like maybe five people doing this in the planet. Um, and then uh, we signed up to do nuclear test explosion monitoring for the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, and we built the global network. And that's when we started discovering stuff. Because before that, we were working on paper, you know, like strip records, you know, smoke paper kind of stuff like that. So a little limited dynamic range. Very theoretical. Uh, we went straight off to 24-bit resolution, like super fancy systems. So we just, all of a sudden, it was just every other month or something to discover. It was a really exciting time. And now we've reached some stability. Exciting again? Oh, yeah. Iran, I mean... I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems to me that if you're going to build a nuclear bomb, you have to test it. And these tests we'll be able to catch. Yes. This is the main point of the CTVT, that we build a network that works. We already demonstrated that we can pick up just about anything in the world. And so right now we... From know, where? From anywhere. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the whole thing, right? We build this global network, and, and we need to ratify it. So this is the, this is a political problem. You know, People need to say, okay, we're going to support this and, and getting into force. Uh, but we build the network. And, and recently, you know, I was in this international meeting, and this high-level diplomat says, the scientists have delivered. And, you know, I never thought I heard that, because usually there's no end to this stuff. You know? So we build a network that works, and now we live in the hands of our politicians at the international level to get it pushed forward. But yeah, we can detect the clandestine nuclear test explosions anywhere in the world. Are you publishing on this? Uh, we already have. You know, it's all out there. And at this point, what what uh, journals? Oh, Journal of Geophysical Research, uh, Geophysical Research International. There's there's a big community of us now. Before, again, there were five cats. Now we're in the hundreds. Yeah, yeah. So to watch this grow over the last 15 years is like. You getting grants? Yep. Of course, you have to get grants. Yeah, you have to. That's well, what we who, do. Who would grant for this kind of research? Um, you know, it varies. Right now, we are working for the National Nuclear Security Agency, and it involves um, uh, treaty monitoring and also fuel cycle monitoring. And again, this is a, an application of technology to the betterment of humankind and to preserve the peace and try to keep tabs on, on nuclear fissile materials and how they're used, and not just for creating power, but also for more nefarious means. And, it's a verification system that uses technology as the means yeah. to do that. 
And so this is one of the things we do. What about the, the global reach of this research? I, I, I heard you, I mean, I got from what you said that uh, if it wasn't an active field, say 15 or 20 years ago, it has become active. Does that mean that there are conferences hither and yon, um, that everywhere in the world people are getting into this kind of science and doing things like you? Yes. So we have a, a growing community now. It's a, it's a United Nations type effort. So again, all the state signatures of the United Nations participate in this endeavor, and they have access to the data. And so what you're seeing is a lot of capacity development. And, uh, and you know, a lot of the more established uh, powers already have the technology and the resources, and we're transitioning that to them and developing the capability for it to be done at a higher level than it was possible before. Last question, because we're almost out of time, and that is, uh, it's, it's, it's suggested to me by this last item of, of, of how, the, um, of how the, the technology can be used. So it's the incorporation of infrasound into the GEOSS planning strategy. Yes. I'm afraid I, I don't know what GEOSS <laughs> but, I, but I, it seems like um, <clears throat> this, is, this is something that would affect people uh, you know, going forward in planning and in communities, I'm, I'm guessing. And I guess the, the question I put to you as the last question here today is, how does this go to affect the average person? How is this going to affect our lives, you know, in our cities and our communities going forward, mm -hmm. uh, including the GEOSS planning strategy? Uh, the GEOSS is a really large-scale thing. It's a geophysical earth-observing system of systems. <laughs> so it's very meta, yeah? Okay. So the, the U.S. is one of the strongest proponents of open data in the world. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, I've been in international meetings uh, at a time when our government was going through a transition stage and a lot of basic services for data have been turned off. And you'd be surprised at the repercussions internationally when people had no access to NOAA, USGS, NASA, a lot of a lot of the products that we as taxpayers provide uh, are used globally, and how do we immediately benefit from it? Through basic early warning of natural disasters, uh, of being able to respond decisively during times of crisis. But sometimes you just have to move quickly. Um, the U.S. is very active in humanitarian response. Every time you know we have typhoons here in the Philippines, for example. We mobilize very quickly, the USAID, Department of State, to facilitate these things. Um, and so also happens within the U.S., you know, Katrina not being, being an example of, you know, hurricane impact and how do we mobilize our forces, and how do we do that efficiently and effectively. The more information you have during times of crisis, the better you can act. So this is where us as citizens can provide additional information that allows the powers that be to make the right decisions and to act promptly. Okay, so this, so that camera over there, that's the people, that's the people. Those hey, are the people, people with Hello, I, people. <laughs> those are the people with iPhones. All right. What do you want to say to them about, you know, contributing uh, their, their processing power on the iPhones to this effort? Well, it's a, it, it's a discovery process and uh, we, as scientists, can help, can use your help. We need more information, we need more data, so when you're Quiescent at night and connected to a Wi-Fi, if you want to contribute to Infrasound, just download the app, push play, and we'll be able to use what you have whenever something happens. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Milton. Milton uh, Garces, Associate Researcher, Director of the Infrasound Laboratory at the University of Hawaii at Nelha. But 
<clears throat> it's part of the Hawaii Institute of Geophysics and Planetology. Thank you, Red <laughs> Butler, <laughs> for the show in January and for the one today. And thank you. Take care, Milton. Aloha. Aloha.